Well, today, uh, as we approach Thanksgiving, we're just gonna do, we're gonna begin a short two two week sermon series called "The Power of Thanks." And what, one of the best ways for us to grasp the meaning of living thank-filled lives is by hearing the stories of other men and women who stop, pause, and recognize uh, what God has done and is doing in their lives. Now, today we have the opportunity to hear such a story from one of our very own, Lori Kester. So I want to invite Lori to come on up and share her testimony of what God has done in her life recently. far away from me as he possibly can. <laughs> um, the past couple months, we felt God's presence in our lives in such an undeniable way that when Pastor Dave asked me to share our story, I thought, how in the world could I not? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my Jesus. I have been singing God's praises from the mountaintops of northeast Nebraska, and today you are my captive audience. In September, we flew to Arkansas for the funeral of Lindy's aunt. This was already a crazy weekend with the funeral on Friday, another friend's funeral on Saturday, and a wedding on Sunday. We really debated about whether or not we should go to Arkansas, but we felt what we now know was God telling us to go, that we needed to be there, and so we flew to Arkansas. On the flight from Chicago to Little Rock, up above the puffy white clouds, you know, where heaven must be, I began a long talk with God. I talked to him about my grandparents, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, Lindy's brother Dan, so many friends and family that have gone to live in heaven. But mostly, I talked to him about my sister Lisa, who had died five and a half years ago in her sleep. As I prayed and cried, I pleaded with God to give me some peace about her death, since an autopsy had given us no answers. I wanted answers, and now I know that I was behaving a little like the child that Justin was talking about last Sunday, me relentlessly pulling on God's robe and saying, God, 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 until he finally said, okay, 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 what do you want? He already knew what I wanted, but he is God, and he listened again. When we landed in Little Rock, I dried my tears, blew my nose, and didn't even tell Lindy about my conversation with God above the clouds. He had slept the entire flight, which I was thankful for because God and I needed some alone time. We got off the plane, found our bags, rented a car, and headed for our hotel. We would be driving to Heber Springs in the morning and then flying back home. I was somewhat expecting a fluffy cloud of peace to ascend on me, God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding. I had come to grips with the fact that I would never have answers until I got to heaven about what had happened with Lisa, but I just wanted to be able to sing It Is Well With My Soul again. Well, God is God, and I am not, and he had a very different plan to give me the peace that I so desperately wanted. As we walked into the Jitterbug coffee shop at noon the next day to have lunch in Heber Springs, 
a town about the size of Wayne and a darling coffee shop a lot like the table, I suddenly, without any warning, fell to the floor. My heart had stopped and I wasn't breathing. This is where it gets a little fuzzy for me. Linda, do you want to take over here? <laughs> I thought so. Well, a barista and two customers sort of shoved Lindy out of the way and jumped into action and started CPR. When the EMTs arrived in less than a minute, because their station was only two blocks away from the place God had put us that day, I was breathing again, but my heart needed a shock to start beating correctly. So it was shocked in the ambulance and then again in the Heber Springs Hospital. The following day, we learned that the barista who headed up my CPR team is a nurse who is now working in a coffee shop because there she doesn't have to worry about saving people's lives. And the customer is an athletic trainer and the wife of a doctor, both of them certified in CPR. The other customer was a strong man that could give strong compressions and I'm so thankful for my broken ribs because that's exactly what I needed. They all gave God the glory and were just happy to be used by him. This was our second sign from God, and yet we didn't know the extent of his plan quite yet. When I was stable enough to be transported, I took a helicopter ride to Searcy, Arkansas, a bigger hospital where I met Dr. Holt, a cardiologist, an incredible man of God who prayed with me and his team before doing my heart catheterization. What? He prayed with me and for me. Sign number three that God had orchestrated his plan for me, and I am feeling such peace already. It was here that I learned that there was no damage to my heart. My actual physical heart is healthy, but I have an electrical problem that has caused my heart to go into an arrhythmia that had caused sudden cardiac arrest. The very same arrhythmia that the coroner and many doctors had told us was most likely the thing that my sister had died from. Arrhythmia does not show up on an autopsy. Suddenly, it all made sense to me. Suddenly, I knew beyond my little human brain that God was answering my prayer for peace about Lisa. It wasn't the fluffy, feel-good kind of peace that I expected, but it was the most amazing feeling of peace, far beyond my human understanding. It was peace for my parents, for my family, for my sisters, for Lisa's family. It was God's perfect peace. I had one more ambulance ride to Little Rock now. Poor Lindy, still following along all alone in Arkansas. Do you want to take it from here now? Okay. This is where we met another amazing electrophysiologist who declared me a miracle and said, only God. Sign number four. He placed a pacemaker defibrillator so that if my heart goes into this arrhythmia again, it will be shocked back into rhythm. I call it my jitterbug, and I call a lot of people in Arkansas my angels, God's angels and so many people back home, my prayer warriors. That night, as I was lying in my hospital bed reflecting on this scary but amazing day, my sister-in-law sent me a verse that had just popped up on her devotional for that day, sign number five, Psalm 73, 26. 
My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That verse was exactly what I needed to fall asleep that night. And I have added it to the many verses of scripture that bring me comfort, no matter what my circumstances are. A couple weeks after my rescue at the coffee shop, Tanya, Anna, and I'm on a first-name basis with my CPR angels, and we still talk back and forth. In fact, we went back to Heber Springs the day we left Arkansas to meet them, and that was an amazing moment. Um, but Tanya, Anna, and the Jitterbug Coffee Shop, as well as the Heber Springs Rescue Unit and EMTs were presented with a plaque for saving the life of a Nebraska woman who would now be able to spend the holidays with her family. I am that woman. Me. Why? Why me? I don't know the answer to that question, but I knew, do know that God knows. I don't know why Lisa didn't have people with her when her arrhythmia happened, but I know that God was with her. I know that she was suddenly in his presence as he welcomed her into her heavenly home, and I know I will see her again someday. Not because of anything I have done, but because of God's plan and Jesus' shed blood for me. 1 Corinthians 13:12 says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. My doctors are sure that there is a genetic condition in our family for two sisters to have had sudden cardiac arrest, and so we have begun genetic testing to try to identify the gene that can cause this type of arrhythmia so that lives might be saved. They have found three genes in my test panel that are possible culprits, but to find a common gene and identify it as the gene is going to take time. So this Thanksgiving, like every year, I have so, so much to be thankful for. I get to spend more time with my husband, our kids, our grandkids, my parents, my sisters and their families, my in-law family, extended family and friends, and you, my church family. I have been blessed beyond measure. I have a God who knows me and loves me. I have Jesus who paid it all for me, and I have the Holy Spirit who helps me hear God's voice every single day. When his voice is undeniably loud, like it was in Arkansas, and when, it, and when it is a still, small voice guiding me through my days. My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Thank you, Lori. Uh, thank you, Lori. You know, there, there's power in lives that are Jesus-focused and thank-filled. And Lori, man, you're a living example of the power of God, you know, and just uh, expressing that power of thanks and what, what he's doing, I think, is a blessing to our whole church family. So thanks for standing up here and sharing that story. And Lindy, you, you did a great job over there, support role. <laughs> Keep up the good work. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, I want to thank you as, as a church family um, because you, you are now stepping up and giving to this year's special harvest offering. 
And uh, it's just a blessing to see uh, your, guy, uh, your generous giving uh, coming in for that. But I want you to think about a number this morning. That number is 8,000. 8,000. Specifically, $8,000. What could you do with $8,000? Think about that for a moment. So you could probably you can go out and buy a used car for eight thousand. You can go buy a nice boat for eight thousand dollars. You could remodel a room in your home and finish that bathroom or finish off the basement. You could take a really nice vacation for eight thousand dollars. You can go deep sea fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. You can take a hunting expedition for eight thousand dollars. You can take your family to some faraway place that you've always dreamed about going for eight thousand dollars. Or some of you are thinking, man, I could pay Wayne State the money I owe for tuition, right? And you're, you're probably think your mind's probably going down that rabbit trail of what you could spend $8,000 on. Well, what kind of ministry could you do for $8,000? Now, as a former fundraiser for two different nonprofit ministries, an $8,000 gift would be an incredible blessing. I mean, that's not pocket change. That's the kind of gift that makes fundraisers get pretty excited, $8,000. But what could you do for $8,000 every month? Now, think about the kind of ministry that you could do for $8,000 a month. Now, to put it into perspective, our building loan payment here at Journey is $8,000 a month. Now, think about what Journey could do with that $8,000 once our building loan is paid off. Now, through some generous giving this fall, we are currently um, less than $100,000 left on our building loan. Now, just doing some basic math here, if 12 families gave $8,000, we would be debt-free. If 20 people gave $5,000, be gone. If 40 people gave $2,500, gone. But, but here's the deal. With paying off the building loan, we're not just free from something. We are free for something. We're free from debt, yes, that, that, that's part of it. But more importantly, and the part that gets me excited, is that we are freed up for ministry, to do an incredible amount of ministry if that's paid off. So Journey, th this church has a history of being kingdom builders from our very beginning in 1926, I think. And now we're raising up kingdom workers to step into the role of being disciple makers here in this community, in this region. And now we're diving into a new season of kingdom ministry. With this year's harvest offering, we have the potential to put aside that debt and embrace kingdom-minded ministry. And even as the gifts come in, we turn around and give 30% of it back to families in needs as, as we partner with local schools to do so. Now, practically speaking, from what I understand, in and, and years past, the harvest offering was taken up on just one particular Sunday, and they passed the plate to do so. This year, I'm asking that you just give through our regular giving channels of online at jccwayne.org or the black boxes around the building or by, by mailing in uh, your contribution. Just de designate harvest on, on the uh, check or on the envelope or on the giving uh, drop-down menu online. 
So we're, we're not going to pass an offering plate this year, but we're going to keep the giving open throughout this month. So I want to ask you to prayerfully consider giving to this year's harvest offering. Because we're about kingdom ministry. And kingdom ministry flows out of two things. It, it flows out of our love for God and our love for people. The Bible calls this the, the great commandment, our love for God, and the great commission, uh, our love for people. So ministry really is about relationships. It's about building relationships with our God and with other people. So as we fall in love with Jesus, we begin to care about the people that he cares about. Lost people, people that, he, that already know him, people that want to get closer to him. So kingdom ministry, therefore, is, is people-centric, not program-centric. It's about people who are following Jesus. It's about people who are being changed by Jesus from the inside out. And it's about people living on mission with Jesus. So kingdom ministry is about lifting up the name of our God and living lives of service and lives of ministry and worship. So kingdom ministry is about creating opportunities for people to know God in a relational sense. That's what we're about here at Journey, to know him, to be a disciple, in other words, and then go out and make other disciples. So this is the kind of ministry that I want to kind of dive into today in, a, in this short series of sermons called The Power of Thanks. If you have your Bible with you today or, or your app, open up to Psalm 100, and we're going to see what this psalm has to say about kingdom ministry. Psalm 100 begins, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, as, as we look at the psalm, it has a unique structure to it. It has basically two, two parts and four stanzas. The four stanzas follow a pattern that's repeated. Praise, no. Praise and no. Praise God and know God. And the praise that we have, the rejoicing that we have of God rises out of our knowing him. So that first stanza is verses 1 and 2, where it's praise, where it says, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord. Then stanza 2 begins in verse 3, where it says, Know, know the Lord is God. Stanza 3 is, begins in verse 4, when it goes back to praise, where it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then it ends in verse 5 with another stanza about knowing. For the Lord is good. See, our rejoicing as believers rises out of our knowing God. Therefore, to truly embrace this Thanksgiving season that we are in, to truly live thank-filled lives, we need to embrace and know Jesus. So let me point you to him today. He is our Messiah. He is our Savior. He is the one in whom we trust. And here, here it is. We can be thankful because we know who God is. 
So today I just want to point out two things in the sermon about re regarding living thankful lives. And the first is this. True thanks comes when we rejoice and praise and rejoice in the Lord. The psalm begins with, with a call to worship. And, and this call to worship, he says, shout to the Lord all the earth. And I love it how this call, man, it begins with this, with volume. It says shout. It's not a whisper. It's not a hush. He says the volume is loud. We cannot keep quiet. Our praise to God. Another version, another Bible translation version begins by saying this verse, um, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now you might not be able to sing, but some of you can make a joyful noise. And believe, I've, I heard some of you sing, and it's more of a noise than singing. And that's okay, because as long as it's, it's joyful and to the Lord, man, it is worship. That's what God calls us to. And this call to worship is global, because it says all the earth. Man, our worship is meant to ring out to the farthest reaches of the earth. When we look at worship in Scripture, and if you were to do a study on it through the Psalms, for example, which is a book just filled with, with what wor biblical worship looks like, you would, you would see that it's never me-centric. It's never focused on ourselves. It's never meant to be kept to ourselves either. It always points to God and it always points other people to God. It's global because really it's missional. Calling people everywhere to worship the one true God the only God. You know, here at Journey, we support different missions around the world. And, and one of the missions that we support is Bible translation. In fact, we had one of their representatives here a few weeks ago to talk about pioneer Bible translators. So why do we here at Wayne America support Bible translation on a remote island in the South Pacific? We do so because the call to worship is global. We want the people in this remote island to hear God's word in their native heart language so they can worship God just like we worship God. Because this call to worship is global. Well, he goes on to say that the spirit of worship that we are called to be a part of and step into is joyful. Because the words he uses, it's gladness. The songs are, are joyful songs. I mean, if the gospel truly gets into our bloodstream, then our worship is to have an unmistakable note of joy. I love how 1 Peter chapter 1 puts it in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And I love that verse of Scripture. The spirit of worship is joyful. And the scope of worship that this psalm points out, it is total. It involves every aspect of who we are. The, the word for worship in verse 2 can also be translated as serve. Some, some Bible translations use that word. So you can either say worship the Lord with gladness or serve the word, Lord with gladness. It's the same thing. And that word is used in the Old Testament to describe both formal acts of worship and praise in the temple, but it's also used to, used to describe work in Genesis chapter 2. So 
What does that mean? What's the significance of that? It means that worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. or 10.30 to 11.30. It means that worship is not limited to what you do in a building on Sunday morning. It means worship involves our entire life. It involves 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 puts it, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in, for the glory of God. So if you're out in the fields working, do it for the glory of God. If you're studying and getting ready for a test, do it for the glory of God. If you're out selling seed or working on a vehicle, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Because you are a representative of Jesus Christ wherever you are at. So true thanksgiving, living a thank-filled life, comes when we praise and rejoice in the Lord. But true thanksgiving also comes when we know the Lord. The link between the aspect of worship in verse 2 and verse 3 is that word, know. So he says, come before, before him with joyful songs and then the word, know. Sing because we know. Worship with gladness because we know. Shout for joy because we know. So if we are going to shout joyfully, we better know something to base it on, right? If we're going to serve with gladness, know something to base it on. If we're going to come before God with joyful singing, we know something to base it on. I mean... Lori can stand up here and express her thanks because she knows who God is. And I stand up here and preach because I know who God is. And we can gather together to worship as a church body because we know who God is. So what do we know? Well, the scripture goes on to tell us. It says, He is God. Man, this entire psalm is God-focused, isn't it? It's all about him. And look, uh, look at the personal pronouns that are used in verse 3. You know, it says, it is he who made us. We are his. It's his people, his pasture, his gates, his courts. Give thanks to him. Praise his name. It's all about him. You know, the reason we center our worship on him isn't because it's the trending thing to do. It isn't because a bunch of other people are hitting the Jesus like button in their social media page. It's because he is the center of the universe. He is God, nobody else. You know, one of the most liberating aha moments that I've had in my life happened in a classroom when I was at seminary at Lincoln Christian. My, my major professor for my historical theology degree was a guy named Dr. Bob Ray, just a brilliant historian, brilliant theologian, and just really made church history come alive, so much so that I fell in love with, with church history and ended up writing my thesis on this third century uh, bishop named Irenaeus of Lyons, France. And I just dug into it. So out of all these classes that I took and, and all, all of the different languages I studied and all the history that I followed throughout uh, the eras, the one thing that, that impacted me the most, Dr. Ray said in almost a, a passing comment on a, on a class day and that you've probably heard me say from here, he just said one day, it's like, as we're talking and wrestling through this stuff, 
He just said, God's God and I'm not. And he said that and it hit me. He's like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> God's God and I'm not. And that was this huge liberating thing when you come to these challenges or trying to figure things out. You know, the, the biggest takeaway that I had from all my seminary was that God's God and I'm not. You know, I could have saved myself a ton of money in tuition if I had that figured out before I went to Lincoln Christian. It's like, oh, he's God, I'm not. But when we really grasp a hold of that and understand what that means, man, that's a liberating thing, that God's got this. He's got it. He's got our lives in his hands. And that's the, uh, that's the other thing that this psalm points out is that he made us. Psalm 139, verse 14, puts it this way. He says, I praise you, the Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. And let that verse sink in a moment. Let, let that change you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what that means? That means you are a masterpiece. You have incredible worth. And let that sink in a moment. Let that sink in when the days when you're not feeling so wonderful. Let that sink in on the days when you're feeling, you know, lower than dirt and feeling ashamed or feeling that you have no value. Look at that verse and be reminded that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you remember those old MasterCard TV commercials where they would show like a father and son sitting at a baseball game in the stadium and they would kind of put the prices of, of what they spent that day at the bottom of the screen? You know, show the father and son sitting there and it's like show hot dog, 20 bucks. You know, cotton candy, $32. Large Pepsi, $75. <laughs> you know, and then time, time with your son, priceless. Folks, you are priceless. That's what that scripture tells us. God made you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. More than that, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, because we, scripture then tells us that we are his, we belong to him. And he uses the sheep imagery in verse 3. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Way back in my BC days, I think I was about 19 or 20 years old at the time, I had the opportunity to spend a summer on a ranch near Big Timber, Montana. And it was a cattle and sheep ranch, and I was just like total grunt labor all summer long. But I learned a lot about sheep that summer. And I realized that sheep really do need a shepherd because they're, they're not that bright. And, and when, when I think about that and read this verse, it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we have a good shepherd named Jesus. I'm glad that God created me and that he's watching over me because when I look around at this world and, and the mess that we seem to be in, man, and when I look within at my own struggles and my own faults and fears, and when I see all that, I, I realize that I'm out of my depth and I'm glad that I belong to God. And I'm glad that I got a good shepherd named Jesus who's watching over me and guiding me. And I'm thankful that God's God and I'm not. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And, and, and as they do, this psalm, Psalm 100, it points us towards true thanksgiving. 
true rejoicing. And it comes from a thank-filled life, one where we know Jesus, where we know him as our Lord, as our Savior, and we put our trust and allegiance in him. So do you know this Jesus? Do you want to know this Jesus? And if you want to know him, come talk to me today. I would love to introduce you to this one that we call the Good Shepherd. Let me pray this morning. Father, I want to thank you for this Psalm 100 that just reminds us of what true thanksgiving is all about. It's because of who you are. It's because of what you've done. So Lord, may today, may our hearts, may our minds and eyes look to you as the author of our salvation. We just pray this in your name. Amen.